0: Hi, this is Nikki from Motherhood Unfiltered. It's going to be okay. You're listening to another podcast episode. If you like the podcast in the episode, please write a review, share with a friend, or leave a comment. You can also visit my website at www.nikkiasherbowling.com or you can visit my YouTube channel. Thank you and enjoy a new episode from Motherhood Unfiltered. It's going to be okay. Hello, everybody. This is Nikki from Motherhood Unfiltered. It's going to be okay. And today on the show, I'm excited to have Mr. C, Mark Chartier. Um, He said he Americanized it, but it's a French Canadian last name. But his students call him Mr. C. And he is a teacher with Tourette's, a motivational speaker, an author, And he is a special education teacher. And I'm so excited to get to talk to him today. And so, um, but before I bring him on, I just want to remind everybody to, um, if you're listening on the podcast, to comment and, and rate it. If you go to Spotify or iTunes, find my podcast, you can rate it. Also, if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, please comment, like, and subscribe. If you've already done that, thank you. That means you're awesome. And please share it with somebody because we like to share. And uh, sharing is caring. So without further ado, here is Mr. C. Well I'm so glad that um, I came across your profile on Podmatch and I was just so inspired by the things that you um, have struggled with throughout your life and you are still out there doing it every day, uh, accomplishing, teaching others and um, and I just had to have you come on and tell us your story.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Um, Yeah, uh, just I guess if I can dive right in. um, Go ahead. (laughs) I grew up with Fred Syndrome. Uh, I had my first tick that I can remember when I was about seven years old. Uh, It was during a very challenging time with my mother, who uh, struggled with schizophrenia herself. And I actually have a, a poem about that that I'd like to share. In a little bit if that's okay yes that's um, good i went all throughout public school uh without knowing that i had Tourette's this was back in the 80s so i'm dating myself a little bit here Uh, but (laughs) Tourette's a lot of people today don't know a lot about Tourette's but Mm in the 80s it was even more more obscure um right and so i i had symptoms um consisting of various different complex motor tics and voter tics. I used to bark, and Mm -hmm. uh, my friends even used to call me Mark Bark Ark, which infuriated me quite a bit. Um, (laughs) One funny story I'll I'll share with you right now (laughs) is when I was in about fifth grade, I had uh, several different tics, and Mm the kids at school used to actually name them and pay me to perform them. And so there was the twister, which was side to side with my with my neck. Mm-hmm. And they would pay me a nickel for that. And then there was a, an around the world, this motion, which they called around the world. And they would pay <laughs> me a dime for that. And then there was a synthesis of the two, which was just kind of like a, a combination of all of it. And, and yeah. they that the works. And they actually used to pay me a quarter for that. And I tell people <laughs> to this day that I should have kept charging it with, with <laughs> I think I'd be doing pretty well right about now.
0: I know you could be a millionaire.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean we're talking, I mean, these are so like 80% of my ticks involve my neck and my head. Yeah. And uh so we're talking tens of thousands of times, probably over <laughs> the last 40 some years. Right. Uh, so I wasn't diagnosed until my senior year of high school. So I went through virtually all of public school without mm-hmm. any accommodations. I probably would have qualified for an IEP because I did right. struggle academically. Um, I also had some pretty significant behaviors, mm-hmm. um, which I think were partially a result of um, my Tourette's, struggling mm-hmm. with my Tourette's and being bullied. And then also, yeah. I was also um, um, my father raised me and my brother from the age of seven on, mm-hmm. and, um, and 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 he was he was pretty abusive at times. Quite often, he was physically, and yeah. And, um, and 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 I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not one of those people that's just gonna like slam their dad because yeah. there were a lot of great attributes he had. Right. And in the 80s, a a single working father raising two boys and one of which was very challenging and difficult. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, I definitely give him credit for that uh, because Mm -hmm. my mother just she just couldn't be the mother I needed at the time.
0: Right. So So, before you continue, what are some other symptoms of Tourette's? I mean, I think people know that the tics is probably the most obvious mm -hmm. one. So what are some other symptoms?
1: Um, So so, um, Tourette's basically consists of of, uh, vocal and complex motor tics. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are other associated conditions that come along with it often that Mm -hmm. I struggle with, such as stuttering, uh, Mm -hmm. obsessive-compulsive disorder. Um, Over the last six years, I've really struggled with anxiety and sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, I've struggled with sleep since I served medication at age 18. And so yeah. I never mm-hmm. sleep. I have nightmares. It's really troublesome. Um, mm-hmm. I constantly look tired. Um, and, but at the same time, I don't let that stop me from accomplishing my goals, right? Like, right. I still get up every day and go to work. And I go to work for my students who I, who are my mm-hmm. world. Um, I don't have any children of my own. So my students are like my babies. And so that's (laughs) what motivates me to get up every day, even though sometimes I'm so tired, it hurts. Um, Right. Get up and I go to school for my kids. Oh,
0: I love that about you. You're like, I'm doing this. I'm doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I have those kinds of conversations with my students. Right. So like, like working with special education students, I work with a lot of kids that are that take medications. Many of which are similar to the medications I take. Yeah. And so, um, it, it's it's common for me to uh, come across a student that says, "Oh, I'm 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 tired, Mister. See, I'm not I'm not at my best today." <laughs> and I always take pride in acknowledging their mm-hmm. struggle. And I always say to them, the first thing I always say to them is. I'm sorry you're you're struggling. I'm sorry you're mm-hmm. tired. Uh, but we have a job to do. I said, Mr. C is tired too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He is still here giving you his best. So even yep. if your best isn't a 10, even if your best is a six or a seven,
0: give yep.
1: your best and we'll get through today.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, you said your dad uh, raised you and your brother, right?
1: Yes, yes.
0: And um, and did and did he? So you said you were eighteen or you were in high school when you were diagnosed. So did he finally decide? Okay, Mark, we got to figure out what your difficulties are. And did he yeah. take you to the doctor, or was that you know? Uh, at the someone at the school, or how did that come about?
1: Actually, it was my dad's girlfriend at the time. She read an article about Tourette's. Oh, and she okay. Showed it to my father and said, "Hey, Ron, listen, read this." She said, "This is like Mark. This mm-hmm. is how Mark is because um, you know I, I did barking in school, and sometimes mm-hmm. I was constantly blinking my eyes um, mm-hmm. emphatically. I was doing this thing with my neck off and on. I was making noises. So I had a lot of symptoms that yeah. at the time my dad just chalked off as nervous habits, which in some semantical way, yeah, yeah, they, they were nervous habits, but there was more going on.
0: Right, so right.
1: Once his girlfriend showed him that article, he took me to a neurologist who diagnosed me. And of right. course, I sat in the neurologist's office, and I just sat there like this, right? Like, no ticks whatsoever. And, and he said, that's common. He said, the neurologist told my dad, he said, that's common, actually, that when a kid with threats is brought in before a doctor, they don't take it all. But based on parent report, he was comfortable making a diagnosis.
0: <laughs> I bet that aggravated your dad. Because, you know, uh, kids are yeah. always, like, I was threaten my kids that you just try to make me a liar aren't you <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and and so like 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 my Tourette's waxes and wings right so like there are times where you know some people don't notice it about me at all like I mm-hmm. um I just spoke to a colleague of mine last week who I revealed mm-hmm. that I had Tourette's who has known me for several uh, about four or five months and she looked shocked she looked like yeah. she had no idea yeah. Some people that see me and like right away they're like, hey, something's different about, about
0: Mark. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, um, right. Like, but that being said, I, 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 I've always found I'm in my 15th year of teaching special education. And I found that it helps me with my students because my students, um, are very intelligent, first of all. Oh, yeah. Special education or not. They're right, right. And, um, I like to call it different kinds of smarts, right? Oh yeah. Of yeah. So we're all smart. We all have our talents and we all have our areas for growth. Mm-hmm. But my students right away notice, hey, there's something different about Mr. C. He's not like every other teacher. And and a lot <laughs> of students, whether they're kindergartners or first graders or second graders,
0: they mm-hmm. notice,
1: they notice my ticks.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: they're so kind and compassionate. And mm-hmm. and usually if they're, if it's a K through two student, I just tell them, I say, I, I'm upfront about it uh, to an extent. I tell them, I say, Hey, Mr. C gets nervous. And so, yeah, do things. And I tell them just like you struggle with reading and math, mm-hmm. this is one of Mr. C's challenges. And so this is, this is a challenge Mr. C has, but yet I don't let it stop me from coming to work. I don't yeah. let it stop me from, Going to college and getting two master's degrees. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: and so, you know, I don't let it stop me from living my life. And so I feel like I'm I'm uh, while I'm teaching them reading and writing and math, mm-hmm. I'm also teaching them about life, acceptance, and also serving as a role model to them that 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 just because they have a disability, no matter yeah. what it is, that they don't have to let that stop them from being successful.
0: Right, right. That's that's what I love. Is that um especially in today's um education and um the medication that we have available to us and technology that you have the ability to be your best self, you know, and um and I like that you have taken advantage of all of that,
1: yes and that, that's actually what got me into special education because, um, if I can rewind for a second here, um, mm-hmm. I was when I was an undergrad, um, I, I was working at a restaurant and I was exposed to a heavy amount of oven cleaner, and as a result, I su- sustained a, a toxic brain injury, and so after that, um, my Tourette's dramatically increased i had to triple my medication mm-hmm. and, and and most most significantly i developed a significant stutter which i still have traces of to this day mm-hmm. but back then between 2000 and i'd say 2007 it was very significant and very impactful and wow. so you mm-hmm. know i would i was finishing up my bachelor's degree in english um, And I was contemplating next steps. Like, what do I want to do? Like, what do I want to go out into the world right Mm -hmm. now? Or do I want to continue my education? Mm -hmm. And a professor of mine who was like a a brother to me um, suggested that, um, you know, he posed the question about me going to get a master's degree. And Mm -hmm. so I thought about, well, well, what do I want to do? Because and I thought about the people that made the greatest – impact on my life. And those were yeah. my, not just my teachers, but my educators. I will say educators yeah. because yeah. not always the teacher. Sometimes it is the teacher. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I had some very, I was blessed with some very fortunate uh, mother figures along the way. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them was a detention lady in high school. Her name was Mrs. Tracy. <laughs> and, um, and she just formed a real strong motherly bond with me. Yeah, and it really helps me turn my behavior around in tenth grade. Um,
0: I don't but, think a lot of detention uh, p- ladies get a good reputation, you yeah. know.
1: <laughs> so, this woman was was beautiful inside and out. Oh, and, uh, that's God bless sweet. her wherever she is right now. Um, <laughs> so, so I I I thought about the people that made the greatest impact in my life, and it was educators. And so I thought, you know. I, I thought, how awesome and cool would it be for me to go into special education and help students that have similar struggles as me? Like, yeah, wow. I don't have reading difficulties or writing difficulties. Writing mm-hmm. is actually a strength of mine, um, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, I have disabilities. Um, yeah, you know, I, in addition to the Tourette's and the brain injury and the stuttering, I also have a um, some pretty significant visual impairments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then um, so I thought, you know I want to go on a special education and help kids with similar struggles as me.
0: Wow. So um, so you said you had two master's degree? Yes, ma'am. And one is in English and the other is uh, special education.
1: So my English degree is actually a bachelor's degree. And oh, then okay. My first master's is in special education, and then my second master's is in curriculum and instruction. Because um, I, I didn't get into education, I didn't mm-hmm. start teaching right after I got my master's in special ed. I mm-hmm. dabbled in real estate because, again, like I was still struggling with my stuttering, and I was um, there was a, there was a lot of hesitancy and reservations about going into a school with mm-hmm. a significant stutter. Um, and so uh, a couple of years after I got my master's, I got my first teaching job. And mm-hmm. so um, I wanted to go back to school because I wanted to be the best special ed teacher I could be for my students. And so mm-hmm. that led me to a master's in curriculum and instruction with an emphasis in re- reading instruction.
0: I like that. I mean, because mm-hmm. most of this. Us- who did not enjoy high school, don't want to think about it, don't want to go back there, and here you are, you know, with your uh, disabilities, and just you decide, I'm going to do this to help the kids.
1: Yes, yes. And and so it, it's kind of funny. I uh, When I first started uh, college in, in uh, 1996, um, yeah. for a brief time, I was a psychology major. And I, as I did research, I realized, I I discovered that you have to go to school for like eight to 10 years to become a psychologist and do anything in psychology. So I said, forget that. I'm not going to do that. I said, I'm going to do something else. And as fate would have it, I spent literally 18 years of of my life as a college student, either as an undergrad, a degree plus, or or a, a graduate student. And so... I often tell my friends. I don't know if I'm sure. I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie Van Wilder, where he goes to college, <laughs> and he's like thirty something years old, and he's still in college. But I tell people I'm the Van Wilder of Pobo, Colorado.
0: <laughs> That's too funny. <laughs> Usually we end up eating our words, right? You know. <laughs> yes. Yes. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I should have just that, but I think you're in the right place. I think you made the right decisions because you're helping um, kids out there and you're still, I mean, you're working, you're supporting yourself. And um, so, but I wanted to ask you, I think I asked you in the, in the prep was um, your brother. So how's your relationship with your uh, brother? I mean,
1: oh. So, so my brother lives in Colorado Springs, which is about an hour north of me. Um, mm-hmm. And he's got a family. He's got three children and a wife and a, yeah. a very um, extensive job, a comprehensive job, I should say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so, he's very busy. Um, I mean, at the same time, like, I feel like I could call him anytime and, and oh, yeah. talk to him about anything.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I wouldn't say we're super close. Uh, but we do have a good relationship. Um, yeah. I also have a, a a younger sister uh, who who lives in Texas as well. Oh, okay. Um, and and it's it, it's kind of ironic because my brother has ticks. Um, I wouldn't say he has full blown Tourette's, but he has some ticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister does not really have any any ticks. Um, at least that she admits. Uh, I, I I think she has one or <laughs> two. But she doesn't. <laughs> um, yeah. My father does have ticks. My father has a, a couple ticks. And even his father, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, he had ticks, too, where he would suck his lips. He'd go.
0: Oh, my. Oh, my grandma uh, used to do that. But we thought it's because yeah. she didn't have her teeth in. Yeah. You know. and so,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Tourette's is hereditary. Um, okay. However, however, at the same time, I think that that the environment yeah uh, you grow up in can can kind of dictate how it develops. Mm-hmm. And um, like I said, I, I had a, a challenging experience with with my mother when I was seven years old, and and yeah. the first take that I remember. Um, and then after that, like just growing up in a in a tough household. Not saying mm-hmm. that, that I wasn't taking care of, but definitely my, my dad had some some, mm-hmm. some anger issues um, that he, you know, unfortunately took out on me and my brother. That means right. that I wasn't the easiest kid to raise. So, you know, as an adult, I look back on it with hindsight. And I'm yeah. Like, oh, I didn't deserve that. But at the same time, I realized that I wasn't the easiest kid to deal with. either. Yeah. It's,
0: it's like, you know, it is what it is. And. At the time, you know, you just try to do your best with the tools that you have. And remember that we're all human beings, you know, parents, um, you know, you don't have to go to school to be a parent. You don't have to take a test, you know, and it's, it's extremely hard. No one gives you a manual to go by, you know, and sometimes I felt like I was flying by the seat of my pants. (laughs) (laughs) you know, with my, with my boys. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Ted, so tell me about your mother. So, um, you said that, um, she was schizophrenic. Is that what you said?
1: Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. Um, she struggled with mental illness for, um, much of her life and and she passed away about 11 years ago in a Mm -hmm. a homeless shelter in uh, Mm -hmm. Toronto, Ontario. Uh, mm-hmm. the last the last I'd say the last 20 15 to 20 years of my life, I saw her one time. Uh, yeah. she would write me every now and then, uh, but she was a homeless person. And mm-hmm. so she 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 was kind of she was she was a nomad, she would travel all around, mm-hmm. you know, on buses. And as far as I know, to my knowledge, she she would was living in hotels and in bus stations and yeah you know wherever she could find cover um mm-hmm. she would send me letters every now and then um and uh one time i asked her i wrote her back and i i, I told her i said um i said hey uh you know I, i'd like to talk to you i think i was in in college uh it was around 2001 or something i wrote her mm-hmm. back the po box and I said, "Hey, I'd like to talk to you." And she wrote me back a couple months later and said that that she doesn't have any money to call me. And so I wrote her back. I I, I bought a a, fo- a phone card at that those times they had, you know, those phone cards. Yeah. And I I didn't have a lot of money myself. I mean, I was a struggling college student. Right. Um, so I, I I bought her this this phone card for fifteen or twenty dollars or something, and I mailed yeah. it. To her. And a little while later she sent it back to me and said she doesn't like to talk on the phone. Um, so that was, you know, um, that was challenging. That was a challenging yeah. relationship. And, um, I wish I could say that, uh, it doesn't still hurt. Cause it, it does actually yeah. like after she passed away, um, it, it, it was, there was a sense of finality there.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: however, I will say this, um, shortly before she passed away um, um, I wrote her a letter a very sincere um, letter uh, mm-hmm. where I told her where I told her that I that I forgave her for not being in my life and that I understood that she okay. had challenges in her life and that she couldn't be uh, the mother that I needed um, right. And that I forgave her, and that you know I'll always remember the good times from when I was, you know, a young kid. Right. Um, and and she wrote me back, and I still have this letter to this day. Um, and she she said that um, she cracked when she lost me and and Ronnie, and 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 I I definitely feel like her mental health status once her and my father had decided to uh, divorce. And separated separate and divorced that her mm-hmm. mental status uh went to the point of no return i, I definitely yeah. feel like like my father was her anchor uh because they they had been together since she was 17. Oh, and, and my mother's mother had a, a disease called tic de la rue, which most people don't know about it Mm-mm. aren't familiar with it and i'm not even super familiar with it but i know that when my mother was something like 15 years old. Her father had already passed away. Um, mm-hmm. She had gotten in an argument with her mother about going out to see to see someone, a friend or a boyfriend or something like that. And I think mm-hmm. she was about 15 or 16. Um, and she told her mother that she wished she would die. And she left the house. And when she came back, she found her mother dead in the bathtub. Um so oh. so my mother really struggled with a lot of tragedy in her life yeah that's um, her, horrible her dad passed away i want to say when she was about 13 or 14 and then her mom around when she was 16 mm-hmm. and then her, she went to live with her aunts and at one point in time she went to live with um some non some nuns in a, a convent mm-hmm. uh, I, I hope i hope i said that word right um so, and then and then eventually she moved to Montreal right around the time she turned 17 and that's where where she met my dad um, and mm-hmm. and my dad had a huge family and so oh. his family became her family yeah so so once her and my dad um you know uh, broke broke apart it mm-hmm. was very challenging for her and, and and those are things that i I didn't know at the time yeah. Uh, but as an adult, I can reflect on that and, and, yeah. and understand. Yeah, that. I could
0: definitely, I mean, she, like you said, your dad and uh, his family were definitely an anchor for her, uh, a standard that she could come back to. And so, you know, when that ended, she, mm. you know, she did, she did, she didn't know how to be a stable for herself, yeah. right? Yes. So yes,
1: yes.
0: that's why she would travel everywhere. And that is just something I think um, people who have a mental illness and they're homeless, they, they will just, you know, move around and, and be nomadic and, you know, just to, because they, that's their way of being safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That That's their way of coping with, with a society that they can't, can't grasp or manage. Right. Right. At at least that's how I see it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. After, after she, um, after she left our home, uh, she moved up. uh, So I grew up in Long Island, New York. Um, Mm -hmm. She moved upstate to a, a city called Schenectady, New York. Right. And uh, when people see the writing of that city, they really struggle with pronouncing it. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she moved to Schenectady, New York, and she actually had two other children um, mm. a couple of years after her and my father divorced. And um, sadly, uh, sadly, uh, they were, well, sadly, I say that tentatively because it, it was probably best for the children but they were taken from her custody uh, by social services each one, bo- both of them and so i i've never i saw them i saw one of them i think when he was a baby um, mm-hmm. the other one i never met uh but you know it's just you know i i wouldn't even know how or where to yeah. find them but but i think about them sometimes yeah and wonder where they're at and other right.
0: Things. Well, that's the tragedy. So, you said that you wrote um, poetry, right? You wrote a poem.
1: Yes, yes. So I have a book uh, called Fingerprints, um, and this is my book. And and, and um, I don't know if people can see it, but uh, that's it's called Fingerprints, and it's a, a collection of poems about mm-hmm. the shared experiences and successes of triumph and, and dealing with disabilities, mental illness and abuse of not only me, but my students. Because one thing that I found uh, during my journey as a special ed teacher is that a lot of my students deal with many of the same adversities that I've dealt with and mm-hmm. continue to deal with as an adult. And yeah. So the first um, section of my, my poems is, is poems about my teaching experiences. And then mm-hmm. as you go on, there's a section about uh, my parents. Um, there's a section about relationships, like romantic relationships that are innately flawed but yet beautiful as they are. And mm-hmm. The last section is kind of about um, some afflictions. And so, so the title "Fingerprints" is um, there's a there's a um, a quote at the end of one of my poems, and it goes like this: It says. Uh, you scar your way; I scar mine. Recovery is its own fingerprint. And the 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 interpretation that that I intended for that is that, you know, we all have injuries and afflictions, whether they're physical or emotional or spiritual. Mm-hmm. And yet, while each injury and affliction is unique to us, so is its recovery and the healing that that is necessary in dealing with those. Yes, indeed. So I indeed. Came up with with the title Fingerprints. And I'm actually working on a second, uh, I have a second manuscript that I'm, I'm actually in the process of sending to uh, publishers right now, and that's called Crosshairs. Um, and so Crosshairs. I, I have one poem from Fingerprints that I like to read and a poem from Crosshairs that I like to read it, that's okay.
0: Yeah, you go right ahead.
1: Okay, so the first one, I'm going to read is uh, from um, Crosshairs, and it's it's um, it's a poem about my first tick, my first Tourette, is what it's is the title of the poem. Um, okay. And it's about my experience with with my mother in the summer of '83. Okay. <clears throat> I was seven years old the summer my mother and father had decided to divorce. It had been weeks since i'd seen my father but my mother had promised me i would go to camp instead one day she had me hop in the back seat of the car with a spiral notebook and an already gassed bottle of pepsi are we going to camp today i'll take you tomorrow that night we went to a diner in miniola sat down and ordered two sodas and two burgers But four minutes after the waitress left, my mother hooked me by the arm and headed for the door. But I'm hungry. Your father is watching us. Can I say hi to him? The prayer pavement was par with my running to stay with my mother's pull. He's watching. The next day, we got in the car again, passing many of the same um, corners, stop signs, and songs on the radio. Are you taking me to camp today? Tomorrow. She ended up taking us to the emergency room. Why are we here? Because we're sick. What's wrong with us? We're allergic to dust. The nurse took my blood pressure. It's normal. And when she checked my ears, I told her my teacher said I have a hearing problem. The The nurse jotted some notes down and said the doctor would be with us shortly. I sat there drawing in my notebook on a chair that felt like its legs were moving. After a few minutes, my mother took me by the arm again. Why are we leaving? Because we're sick. The next day we drove again. Only the streets seemed longer, the stops shorter. My mother marrying cigarette after cigarette, playing tag with turning on the with turning the windshield wipers on, off, on again, playing tag um searching for the sword of god she wanted and then mission of a herd carved from when she met my father at 17 after she ran away from the nuns in the convent who fostered her after she found her mother dead in the bathtub the night my mother fled the house and told her mother she wished she would die are we going to camp today he's watching when we got to customs i decided we were going to see my grandparents in montreal But as we got closer, we drove the same four blocks around their house. My mother always slung down near the deponeur, looking as though she recognized someone in the windows. We did that drive for hours. Are we going to see Granny and Grandpappy? He's watching. But I have to go to the bathroom. Looking at me as if she were playing with her food, she handed me a Pepsi bottle. Go in here. After I went, I grabbed my spiral notebook, Took the spirals and scrummed them across my lips, back and forth, back and forth. The amalgamation of the metal and my flesh happening. My hands harder, faster every time until it felt just right. Imp, we're sick. He's watching. The romance of a schizophrenia proxy to a child, raising an axis of imbalance, until my hands tardied. My lips inked in blood, mouth blistered. We finally stopped at a gas station where my grandfather opened the back door, remanded me from my mother's hook and ran. When I saw my dad, he said we we're going home. He let me stand on the armrest in the car and stick my head out the summer with the entire way home. The line wind soothing my blisters. Only he didn't take me home to Long Island. He took me to 125th and Broadway, the fang of Spanish Harlem, where I would meet the woman who would become my almost stepmother. The next morning, I woke up on the couch to the sound of a pan frying Puerto Rican chicken and rice, the sizzle antagonizing the dopamine, voodooing my mind for my spiral notebook. I went to grab the phone, to call my father, to ask about camp, when a woman with a mole the size of mean and a bandana toteming her hair grabbed my arm and the bruise from my mother's hook still tender and told me to hang up. You've got a mother, you've got a face even a mother couldn't love. I gagged what tears were left except the one that, that rolled down my face and hit the last blister yet to scab. I named that one, Mommy. Oh my
0: goodness, Mark, that's, that just explains, I mean, you did a very beautiful job of um, showing us, you know, at that age and what you were going through and, um, and also how your mother was struggling too, you know, she was in a, you know, she was, um, and I would think in manic mode, you know, she didn't she couldn't stay still. She had to be moving because she thought somebody was watching her.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's very heartbreaking. Um, thank you for sharing that.
1: You're welcome. Oh man. I it's it's, it's- the the first time I read that uh, to anyone was uh, in, at a conference that I was speaking at in Colorado Springs. Yeah, it was, it was called the the Courage to Risk Conference. Yeah, and, and I was giving a luncheon speech to over a hundred educators, and I read that, and after I read it, I was like, <sighs> and yeah. I spoke to them. I said, I have a I have a clip on on um, I I think I have a clip on my on my website on this. That's yeah. a story, but that's the first time I ever read that. And th- and they clapped and they were very gracious and kind. Right. To compose myself because it is a deep hurt, right? Like it is a deep hurt. But at the same time, as an adult and reflecting on that. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason. And 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 not only for my mother, but that process I, I analogize with my students, right? Like like when yeah. I have a student that has behaviors, um I always say that, you know, there's no such thing as a bad kid.
0: Every behavior
1: comes from somewhere. Right. Experience or trauma or a disability or abuse. Every behavior comes from somewhere. I I I I never will believe that a kid is just born, you know, what some teachers would would quote naughty or bad, right? Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I can definitely agree with that statement. And mm-hmm. the fact that, I mean, things happens to all of us as children, and how we deal with it or not deal with it, um, will have an impact on us as adults, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't fix it. You can't undo it. Um, yes. But trying to be open and positive about it and yeah. letting, other people know, hey, I went through this. If you went through this, you know, let's get together or, you know, this is what, you know, why we need more um, research and study on, you know, these medical um, conditions, you know, the mental illness, uh, physical, you know, illnesses or disabilities or whatever, you know, I feel like, yeah we've come a long way since you know the 80s yeah yeah. but it's still a big problem in our country
1: you know and and i teach my students i i um i teach my students i I heard this quote when i was in um when i was an undergrad and it was from a professor of mine my creative writing professor his name is Uh, david kemplinger he's he's kind of always been my bigger brother um, right. But he said to me, uh, he said to our class, actually, and I don't think he was talking about it in my context, but I applied yeah. it in my context of disabilities and, and my childhood. Uh-huh. He said, right. you can rule it or you can be ruled by it. And so I choose to rule my disabilities, rule my past, yep. and look like I'm able to, um, you know, use my disability as a conduit between me and my students. I'm yep. able to use my my tra- traumatic uh upbringing uh to write poems that hopefully can resonate with other people. And right. And hopefully people can read that in a book someday and say hey that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, well, it is beautiful. I mean no matter who you are, it's it's an experience. It's true. You didn't make it up, but and but yet you like The one you just read, you gave us through your eyes, what you were experiencing and then also what your mother was experiencing. And only you could do that, you know, because you were there.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. So let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so that it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com dot fm to get started again it's a-n-c-h-o-r dot fm to get started
1: and, and another thing that you touched on uh just a couple minutes ago was um you know sharing those experiences so so one mm-hmm. thing that I wanted to share that I that that I uh, pinpointed I wanted to share in this this podcast is mm-hmm. um, my first big speech. It wasn't my first speech, but it was my first big speech. Mm-hmm. With um, at a conference in Colorado Springs, it was another luncheon speech, um, mm-hmm. and I was very very nervous. Obviously, I was stuttering prolifically, uh, <laughs> and, and I was taking a lot. Um, mm-hmm. but I, I, I spoke for an hour in front of over a hundred people and two of my best friends, uh, Tiffany odd and Jimmy Poole, were able to attend. And, 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 and they're just real special people to me. Yeah. So, so after the speech, this woman who listened to my speech, uh, yeah. came me mean, she was in tears. Yeah. And, and she said that her son had just been diagnosed with Tourette's and, uh, and we spoke. And we exchanged information and had a great conversation about Mm -hmm. her son and about, you know, um, his condition and my condition. Mm -hmm. And afterwards, my friend Tiffany said to me, she said, that was meant to happen. She said, she said, if nothing else, you were meant to be here for that lady because that lady needed to know that her son was going to be okay. Yes. Because as a parent of a child with a disability. Once you find out your kid has a disability, there's a thousand questions looming, right? Oh yeah,
0: yeah. In your
1: head. And, yeah. and you're asking like, like, are they gonna be independent when they grow up? Are, right. How, how are they gonna advocate and, and manage through public school? Are they gonna be able to go to college? Are they gonna be able to get a job? And so there's all these questions. And so for for that mother, For that parent, I was able to to stand up there and say, hey, here's someone with Tourette's who's successful. Not Mm -hmm. saying that I'm not impacted or that life's all roses and candy all the time. But I'm successful and I've overcome it.
0: Well, I think the number one thing that parents worry about when they learn that their child has a disability or (laughs) a mental illness or whatever you want to call it is are they going to be okay if if after i i'm gone yeah, you know because obviously you're older than they are you know and you don't live forever you know am i going to be able to make sure that you know my child is going to be able to take care of themselves if i'm not here you know so i think that's uh you know very reassuring that as more people like yourself Come out and start talking, sharing your experiences and letting everybody know, hey, yeah, I struggle with this, but I, I don't let it rule me. I, you know, I still go to work. I went to school. I still help other people. I take care of myself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. So another thing I teach my students um, is uh, I have these sayings that 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 are posted in my classroom, and I came up with this saying, and I'm sure you saw it on my website. And it it goes uh, it, it goes like this: It says, "Always believe that you can make a difference, but never let your differences keep you from what you believe." And 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 the how I interpret that and break that down to my for my students because I am an elementary uh, teacher. Um, right. So I, I tell them, I say, hey, we're all different in our own ways. Some of us have blonde hair. Some of us have brown hair. Some of us have no hair, right? <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> and so. Some of us have white hair. <laughs> yeah. And of course, like that, that gets a smile and engages them right away. <laughs> yeah. That I, I we're all different in our own ways. Some of us struggle with reading. Some of us struggle with math. Yeah. Some of us struggle because we're nervous. Yeah. But but we don't let that keep us from reaching our goals and and accomplishing what we need. And yeah. also, um, I teach them that that that's okay to be different. Those are the people that I have learned most yeah. about life from is people who yeah. are different. Whether, yeah, exactly. Whether it's a um, a political uh, belief system or a religious belief system mm-hmm. or a sexual orientation. People of different sexual orientation, or Mm -hmm. people who are just different philosophically than I am, right? Like, uh, those are the people that I've learned most about life from. Because how boring would life be if we were all the same, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: If everyone was a clone of each other, you know, how boring would life be? It would be so boring. And so. Well, if
0: there was a bunch of me out there, it would be conflict every day.
1: Yeah, yeah, same here, same here. I, I, I shudder to think how, how the world would be if there were 40 Mr. C's in every elementary school, right? Like that would be a challenge for probably for a lot of Mr. C
0: wouldn't get any words in edgewise, would he? No,
1: no, no, no. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. I love that. So um, (laughs) um, I think I forgot what I was going to say, but um, I, I love that you're taking your experiences and writing them into, you know, short little glimpse, you know, like the poetry or the poem and, and giving us a little insight into, you know, your life growing up and you, you know, teaching and going to school and everything. So, Um, Mm -hmm. so tell me about, I mean, how did you, I mean, what draw drew you to, to put it in a poem,
1: you know, your Um, little, that, that, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. (laughs) Uh, That's a great question. So, so when I was about 20 years old, I was in a, a a really toxic relationship, um, Uh I'll spray you the details on that but it was a talk it was a very unhealthy relationship <laughs> and I okay. started I was just enamored with 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 this this lady that I was involved with yeah. and I used to write I found myself writing cheesy uh greeting card sayings and 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 rhymes and 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 all that sort of thing and so Hey,
0: I did that too when yeah, I was a- yeah, hey,
1: beautiful content. beautiful <laughs> yeah. content, but but in the world of, so so, I wrote stuff like that for many, many years. And I still do write stuff like that because uh, as a teacher, I'm part of the positive behavior intervention support team. And so mm-hmm. I've been known quite often to write raps about positive student behavior and rap them at assemblies and over the loudspeakers at my schools.
0: Okay. Why haven't we talked about this before? Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so I still do write stuff like that, and and it is poetry. And and my first thing, my my creative writing professor said to me when I showed him that he said, "Don't ever let anyone tell you it's not poetry." But he challenged me to write more free verse poetry, more formal oh, yeah. poetry that that is that takes away from the rhyme scheme that 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 steers away from the rhyme scheme and focuses on the image, the story. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the language. And so so um so I wrote poems like that for many many years and actually mm-hmm. one time I was in a poetry reading and my 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 classmates uh I think I'm pre- I'm pretty sure behind my back they used to all tease me um <laughs> because of my sappy cheesy poems. And one time I was at a poetry reading and I had just
0: this jealous.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had a five-page rhyming poem and it was called A Petal to a Rose. And it was the <laughs> Valentine's Day Poetry Reading. And I, I'm up there and I'm reading this poem. And and at one point in the poem, I reached in my, my jacket pocket where I had all these rose petals. And I took them and I sprinkled them out on the floor. And everyone just laughed. <laughs> everyone, everyone, everyone just grabbed up and, and my theatrics. um, So, um. <laughs> Right around that time, I sustained my brain injury in two thousand. So, right smack okay. dab in the middle of my undergrad program, mm-hmm. and I found that uh, that because I I lacked fluency in my speech, mm-hmm. I turned to writing to communicate and express my thoughts and my ideas and my my dreams and my wants and my needs. And, yeah, that's and, great. And so I I I. I I was at a point where I was writing so much that I was just, you know, just writing every night. Yeah. And then um, as time evolved, I started writing, you know, more free verse narrative Uh poetry. Right. uh, Similar to that poem I just read and the other poem I'll read here. Right. Um, And, uh, and it's funny because once I graduated uh, college, all my other classmates, 90% of them stopped writing. And they got families, they got married, they had kids, they got uh-huh. you know, full-time jobs. Me, I went to grad school so I, and I yeah. stayed single. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I wish I had found someone, but I, I didn't. Yeah. I never had kids. And so I, I was able to continue writing and, and my writing just evolved and I always tell people, um, I've given lectures about poetry mm-hmm. and they're like, well, you know, I." some people tell me they write poems and then, then they throw them away. I said, I never throw any poem away, even if I don't like it, because sometimes you have to write, you know, 10, 15 poor poems mm-hmm. to get to that one gem, to get to that one diamond in the rough. And oh, yeah. Yeah diamond in the rough is is poem number one in your manuscript and then you write another 15 20 poems and then you get another diamond in the rough and that's poem number two in your manuscript yeah so so my 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 first book fingerprints uh is a collection of poems that spanned about 12 or 13 years Mm -hmm. experiences and um whether they be teaching or my childhood, delving into my childhood, mm-hmm. uh, talking about you know events from when I was a kid and 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 events as a teacher that were very mm-hmm. very important for me because um, my my students, I, I've been so blessed with so many wonderful students and and I, mm-hmm. I hear a lot because I keep in touch with them because now they're older and they're on Facebook and I keep in touch with them and they always tell me. You know, I learned so much from you. I learned this from you. I learned that from you. And I tell <laughs> them, you know, nine times out of 10, I found that I learned a lot about life and being a teacher from them as well. Yes. So as much as I helped them, it was a reciprocal relationship where, yes. I, where, where they helped me as well.
0: Right. Oh, I totally agree with that. I mean, I've learned just the same as being a parent, you know, and. Uh, my kids definitely taught me that um, I could do more than what I thought I could and that I don't know everything, you know, because when you're not a parent, you know, when I was a teenager, I thought, well, when I'm a parent, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. You know, I can do way better than my mom. And and here I am. I've been eating crow for 26 years, you know.
1: <laughs> I, I said, And I'm not an expert on, on this this, uh, <laughs> this subject, but I did see a post, one of my childhood, one of my good childhood friends that I keep in touch with in Florida. He's, um, he's, he's on my Facebook and he posted a, a post on another, um, he posted a post about reconnecting with his father. Mm. Uh, and and I don't know the whole story behind it, but another good friend, childhood friend, commented on that post and and he was very articulate and very profound in saying mm-hmm. that um part of being a parent is learning to love, understand, and forgive. Yes. Not only our kids, but our parents, right? Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have to travel those steps or go through those steps on our own. Um, if not for them, but more for yourself, yes. you know, you have to come clean with those and um, be that way. You have some kind of peace in your own mind and your own heart.
1: Yes. Yes. And, and that, that takes me to another story that I earmarked to share with you. Um <laughs> So when I was in grad school, um, I, was, I was meeting with a professor uh, who mm-hmm. was in charge of uh, field experience for, for teaching, and her name was uh, Professor Marshall, and I remember I was in her office and we were talking, and she got a phone call, and this was like around 2004-ish, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, 2004, somewhere around there, um, mm-hmm. got a phone call from her son. And she said, Oh, hold on, I'm sorry, but I have to take this. Mm-hmm. And she's talking to her son, who I, I'm guessing was early 20s. And she's, you know, she's being a mother. She's asking, Are you okay? What are you gonna do? Because there was gonna be a hurricane in Florida where her son was. Oh, was yeah. A hurricane, but there was a hurricane. And so she was concerned. Um, sorry, I'm 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 gyrating here. That's that's just part <laughs> of my threats. Uh, You're fine. Out. But um, anyways, so she's she's being a mother to her mm-hmm. son, be showing c- care and concern and and worry, which is part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh and her son, I could tell on the other end, he was not, you know, very receptive to that, which you know a lot of kids, especially young adults, teenagers. <laughs> yeah.
0: And,
1: and <laughs> so she got out the phone. Um and she said to me, she said, I'm sorry. She said, I'm sorry that you had to hear that. She said, I'm, I'm just, you know, concerned about him. And, and she was apologizing to her son as well. And I looked her in the eye and I said, Miss Marshall, Professor Marshall, I said, don't ever apologize for being a mom. Mm-hmm. I said, being a mom is a beautiful thing. I said, I grew up without a mom, I said, and, and being a mother is the most beautiful thing in the world. And so don't ever apologize for being a mother. Oh. And, and, and she I saw her at a conference about 10 years later and she brought that up to me and and, and I said yes I, I remember so that was that was a very poignant moment for her mm-hmm. as well as me something that I could pass along given my experience
0: yeah I mean I tell them you know when I uh fuss over them about something and uh you know my youngest he's four hours away and uh I tell him he forgets what my phone number is, you know, cause he doesn't <laughs> call me and let me know he's still kicking it, you know? And uh, <laughs> I could tell he's like, Oh geez, I'm an adult. I could take care of myself, you know, but until you have your own little ones or, you know, you are in taking care of others, you, they don't understand that, you know, at all. They don't. So.
1: <laughs> well, and, and my, one of my best friends, I think I mentioned her, she was at my, one of my conferences, Tiffany. Um, yeah. When I met her, I met her through my the first elementary school that I worked at. She was on the PTA
0: uh-huh. and, uh,
1: and we just became friends after so many years. Yeah. And, uh, she had recently gone through a divorce and she had four kids. And so she had her, her kids week on week off.
0: Uh-huh. And, and,
1: and there was no, never anything romantic between her and I we We're just, just became really good friends. We clicked, right. you know. Mm-hmm. I spoke to her today, as a matter of fact. Um, but she was struggling with with the dating scene, right? And yeah, and of course, like you know, she was worried about having four kids and and how ha- and having first off having men around them, right? Second off, you know, when she got serious with, with a jet with a man, uh, if they would accept accept those yeah. kids. And I remember one night looking her in the eye and I said, your kids are not baggage. I said, your kids are gifts. And the (laughs) right man will see your kids as the gifts that they are. And he Mm. will take you and love you and them more than anything else in this world. And if you find that person, you're you're barking up the wrong tree.
0: Yep. That is really true because, I mean, I had went through the same situation and um, uh, I had had a boyfriend and you know it didn't work out and and then when I met my husband I mean I kept him from my kids for months and months and months because I I didn't know him I wanted to get to know him first you know and then you know and now here you know we've been together since 2008 and it's just been a wonderful thing you know he was there at the right moment to help me with the boys as they were going through their growing, you know, going through puberty and, and all that. I mean, that was a challenge on its own. Right. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So, um, so how hard was it for you to write, you know, your poem about your mother? Um, I mean, Was it a long process or, um, I mean, how did that go when you were writing it?
1: So, um, that, that was not that poem that I read was, was one of those poems that just came to me like Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And I wrote it and probably, I mean, it's a pretty long poem, as you can tell. Yeah. I probably wrote it in about 30 minutes, 30, 40 Mm -hmm. minutes, maybe. Um, -hmm. However, when I write a poem, I write it freehand on, um, in a notebook
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I usually put it away. I, I, I put it down for a, a day or two, maybe mm-hmm. a couple weeks and then I type it up and when I'm writing it freehand is kind of, um, it's kind of when I'm constructing the skeleton. And then when I type it up, that's when I add a lot of revision and a lot of language and I, I, I mess around with the line breaks, mm-hmm. I play around with the language, and and that's kind of when I add the the muscle and the meat to the poem. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was a continual process where I'm, you know, and 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 with any poem that I'm really invested in, it's something that you know this is where my OCD comes into play because I literally obsess over these poems, making them sound right, making mm-hmm. them right, making the language fit, um, and and then I also. Play around with language in my poetry, where sometimes I take nouns and make them verbs, and sometimes I make verbs nouns, and and that's just kind of something that I do as a, uh, with, with the creative license of being a poet. And yeah. That I do, um, so it it was hard to write, it was harder to read, it because because when I wrote it, like there was a sense of catharsis. Mm-hmm. And I wrote this poem I want to say about. Two and a half years ago, maybe three years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now, in my book, Fingerprints, there's a whole section that has about—I want to say maybe seven or eight poems about my mom. Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not the first time I've written about my my mom, um, and and I find it therapeutic whether it's writing about my mother or disabilities or challenges. Mm-hmm. someone with a, a girl that I liked or mm-hmm. you know, or a girl that didn't like me, which is usually <laughs> um,
0: I think that happens to all of us.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's very therapeutic and cathartic to me.
0: Yeah.
1: People often used to tell me um, when I was going, when I was in my 30s, they used to say, why don't you go see a counselor? Why don't you go see a therapist? And to me... Well, while, while I'm not going to sit here and say I've never done that or tried that, mm-hmm. poetry has been the greatest counselor to me because yeah. it's there when I need it. It doesn't mm-hmm. tell me when my time is up. It doesn't <laughs> tell, the mail in the mail tell me I owe them $120. <laughs> no, poetry is always yeah.
0: right. Right. I love that. I'm glad that you use that as a tool because obviously you have developed that skill and you are using it um to give us an insight into what you grew up with and what your current challenges are and um so now this a second poem that you said you were going to read um so how did that come about i mean i so- think you read it to me on our uh, prep uh, talk that we did.
1: Okay. So so the, the second poem I was going to read is from my, my book, Fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And it's called Familiar. And it's a poem I wrote the, the day that I found out my mother had passed away, which was the day after Christmas. She mm. literally passed away in a homeless shelter in Toronto on Christmas night. And, uh, and I found out about it the next day uh, mm-hmm. from my father. Um, so if you like, I could read that poem. Um, yeah, it, you can. Yeah. Cause I don't want to give too much of it away. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. It's, it's called familiar and it's about, it's about the process of that day of when I found out she passed away. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I never gave to a homeless person until today, the day my mother passed away. I was in bed when my father called and I, and I knew what he was saying, even when he cut out during the word dead. After my shower, I walked to the store, stared at the sun and a side purpose, and everyone I saw looked like someone I knew. I picked up matches, some paper bags, price tags, anything that would burn, and remembered the last time I saw her, five years ago, in a bus station. WHEN SHE WAS LOOKING UP AT ME, THE NEEDED, NOW THE NEEDY, ASKING ME FOR 50 BUCKS FOR HER NEXT BUS TICKET. I'VE POUNDED THE WALLS TO THE RUBRIC OF HER VOICE, SCREAMED TILL I'VE HEAVED, IMAGINING HER THE NIGHT BEFORE, SHUTTING HER EYES TARDILY IN THE BATTERED WOMAN'S SHELTER, HER CHRISTMAS BULB NEAR THE TOP OF THE TREE, RED LIKE A DEBT, THE VICTIM OF HER OWN MIND. Now the body, battered even. I remember when I was five years old, her hand turning a, a tired faucet as she plopped me in the bathtub. I fought her hands when she, while she dunked me below the sudden water, scrubbing my hair as if she was sassing time, taut and screamed. She told me to stop crying, to open my eyes. It's only water, she said, as she splashed me in the face. Her face plied, a smile yet to scar. In my head, I've dealt with this a hundred times already, waiting on every call with an area code I didn't recognize, counting all the people I'd fall into tears with, like loose change falls behind a cushion. Peace isn't on earth, it's where you don't have to cry to hurt. Dear mother, I forgive you for not being there, for your mind, marooned, a without water, reason had nothing good to say for you. And it's not your fault. I grew to be what love shouldn't be. My last letter, there were no lines between. I hope you saw them anyway. I gave a homeless woman back her son today as I got in the shower, lowered myself until my bottom was over the drain, a war of memories taking pause flanked to my chest as I imagine how she must have looked the night before I was born when she pulled my father drunk from a car wreck amid a blizzard. Every homeless person has a home they've left. I got in the shower because I didn't want to know if I was really crying or or if it was just a little water in my face.
0: that's so sad (laughs) yeah what has she been sick or um (coughs) i mean or how old was she when she passed
1: um let's see she was 63 And she had struggled with stroke and cardiac symptoms for several years. Uh, The Mm -hmm. last time I saw her was in 2005. Mm -hmm. um, And that was like the first time I had seen her in since I think Mm 1995-ish. So between 1995-ish and 2005, her, Mm -hmm. her health just between that gap had really deteriorated. She had had several strokes. Uh, her speech was very impacted and very jumbled and discombobulated. Mm. Um, she she obviously wasn't taking care of herself. One one thing about mm. schizophrenics that I've read, um, mm. and I've read this about people with Tourette's, is that cigarettes, um, cig, like smoking cigarettes, is kind of therapeutic for them. Like the nicotine helps calm them. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while, when I was in my 20s, we all have stupid things we've done in our 20s. Um, I spoke cigarettes for about five years and, 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 and at that time I found that that helped with my stutter. So I, I liked doing that at that time, even mm-hmm. though I quit for, cause I have heart issues as well, but, um, right. so, so her, her condition had deteriorated quite a bit in 2005 and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, not having any normal routine or a sense of, of, of uh, a typical life. Uh, yeah, or
0: healthcare.
1: Healthcare, yeah. exactly. Yeah. She she was on social security, and so mm-hmm. um, she she did have insurance. But but typically, people with schizophrenia are not the ones that are gonna go to the doctor when every time they're sick, right? Like they're
0: <laughs> yeah, they, they
1: want to stay the heck away from those people as much as possible. Um, well,
0: they used to get locked up, so they.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I wouldn't go. <laughs>
1: And I won't read it, but there is a poem in my book about um, when I was seven years old, shortly after, or shortly before that first poem I read, Mm -hmm. uh, where she took me to Montreal to my grandparents' house. And my grandparents had called um, a mental health clinic, I assume, Mm -hmm. and they came and, and there's literally people wearing white chasing her down the street as she's yelling and you know, just in a in a real bad spot. Um, yeah. I, my mind is foggy as to what happened after that, but obviously I got re reconnected to her after that. Um, mm-hmm. But but she did have experiences like that, where people in the medical field were literally chasing her down the street in front of her her son. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's what they used to do. Um, they don't do that now. I I don't think, or at least I don't know. I hope not, but um. So Mm -hmm. so, walk so walk me through like a typical day for you. Um Hmm. you know, a work day.
1: Okay. So um I start school at seven o'clock, I wake up at six (laughs) fifty-five. No, I'm I'm just kidding. I, I was, was like, like are you I, sleeping in your classroom i wake up at two thirty-five. <laughs> i have to be there by seven and i usually arrive around 7 <laughs> 30. no i'm just kidding um no so, so, so I that was,
0: you're rotten and you should have done that
1: <laughs> i mean oh my like, god i don't I save time with my hairdo. I don't have to, you know, put hairspray or, or gel in my hair, you know? So, so I get ready pretty quick. Uh, I wake up around 630 and I, I get to, I live close to my school, thankfully. So I'm quick getting up. I, I'm not the best at eating breakfast, which I'm trying to get better at. Um, (laughs) it's 715. Uh, we get kids around 740. Yeah. um, Throughout the day, I have small groups, and I'm also called for support for for kids inside the classroom as well. Okay. Uh, typically, that's usually for behavioral support, or or okay. it could be you know this past week. I mean, I helped three kids uh, with toileting, right? Like and 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 a lot of people in the world of education might say, "Oh, why why is a teacher doing that? That's a parent's job." But I I I take pride in not you know, putting myself yeah. above anyone, and I always tell my support staff mm-hmm. that I'm I'm all in. I'm willing to help if you need it, uh, no yep. matter what it is, whether it's toileting, whether it's picking up a student to go right. small, whether yeah. whether a student's being rude to you, call yes. me. I'll take care of it. Um, in my groups, in my small groups, one of the ways that I build relationships because. Um, because I am a big relationship person that's 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 generally the theme of my my speeches is the power of positive relationships uh-huh. and so when I when I pull a small group usually three to six kids the first thing we start off with is good things and and the premise behind good things is to talk about is for everyone to share one good thing in their life at that time. And, and, okay. and the point is that we all have something good in our life, right? Like, yep. whether it's where we have good parents, whether it's mm-hmm. we got to go to the park yesterday, whether it's mm-hmm. we have a good brother, a good sister, a good mm-hmm. teacher. Um, and so <laughs> I have this song uh, that I do, and it goes like this. If it's okay, if I'll sing it. It goes, tell me something good. Woo-hoo! And we go around and we share a good thing. And, uh, <laughs> And one time, uh, I think it was my fourth or fifth year of teaching, uh, this little girl said, my good thing is that I got a new guinea pig. I said, oh, really? Cool. (laughs) I said, said, is it a boy or a girl? She said, oh, it's a boy. I said, oh, well, what did you name him? She said, I named him Mr. C. So (laughs) I would tell people, you know you've made it in the world of education when kids start naming their pets after you. And another time, and <laughs> more recently, this was about three, four years ago,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, we were doing good things with this kid. I was doing good things with this kid. And um, um, I said, hey, Jace, what's your good thing? He said, my good thing is that my, my brother bit my arm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious. So I, I probe a little bit further. And I say, uh, I said, well, I said, your brother bit your arm? He goes, yeah, but it's getting better. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, did you bite him back? Because I'm trying to find <laughs> out what's good about this, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't bite him back. I go, good job, Jace. That's really good. That makes Mr. C really happy that you didn't bite your brother back. He yeah. Goes, I smacked him in the head instead. <laughs> so kids say the darndest things. But it sets up a good a good a good foundation to our learning and it yeah. also allows me to do a check in with kids to yep. make their emo- social emotional needs are being met and that they're in a good place because yep. if they're not like I'm their advocate like mm-hmm. like uh, like if if they're struggling whether it's something at school whether there's a bully whether it's something at mm-hmm. home like I want to know about it because I'm their advocate and I, yeah. I tell kids about ad- being an advocate um, yep. so that, that's a role that I take very seriously.
0: Yeah, I, I, I do like that. I do know that, um, you know, when we had the pandemic and we had lockdown, you know, a lot, they were worried because a lot of kids rely on school, um, for food and, you know, and being safe and they, I mean, I don't know if anything had happened because of that. But I do know here they kids that did eat at school, they made sure that they got uh food or vouchers to, to have food delivered.
1: Yes. So, and, yeah. And my school district did the same. They were very yeah. proactive in that regard. Um, yep. My, my, my best friends, uh, they actually literally live up seven houses up from me. Um mm-hmm. I've, I've been friends with them for 20 25 26 years mm-hmm. they have six kids uh, <laughs> now now three of them are theirs by are their their by yeah. children and then yeah. three are um are are, are, are adopted are their, are their um nieces and nephew uh, oh okay because my, my my friend's sister became incapable of caring for them and so they yeah there and so for all intents and purposes, they're their children. Now, <laughs> yeah. what's what's interesting about this and admirable for them is that all the three kids that they foster/slash adopted yeah. are all the same ages as their kids. So they've got three sets of twins. <laughs> so so it takes it takes a village, and and thankfully, <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big part of their life. I, they call me Uncle Mark. <laughs> like like i'm their uncle and uh they were just yeah half of them were over my house last night watching a, a movie <laughs> with me. and so you that's know, awesome but, but, but as you can imagine having six kids and being asked to you know not have that that food support right mm-hmm. like that, that's, yeah. that's scary for for parents yeah right? it so is that's a lot it of really, money
0: it is and um Yeah, so I was really glad that um, they did um, do their best to make sure that kids were still taken care of, even though they weren't actually Mm -hmm. at school, you know, so, well, so what, what Mm -hmm. would you like to tell parents, you know, uh, about kids who have disabilities, you know, or they just learn, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you did tell the story about when you were at a conference, and Um, you know, this mother came up and she was, you know, really glad that you had told your story. So what, you know, what kind of advice would you give parents if they learned that their child is, you know, has some kind of a disability?
1: So uh, there's a few things I would say. Um, I, Mm -hmm. a a couple of years ago, I got into this, uh, this habit of writing memes, like inspirational memes Mm-hmm. And one of the memes that I wrote is, um, well, two of them I'd like to share is in front of every disability is a person working hard just to level the playing field. So first off, my, my, my advice to any parent or anyone that encounters someone with a disability is to always remember that they're a person first. Yeah. That, that child is a person first. They're yeah. not ADHD or autism, they are a child with ADHD. They are a child with autism. They right. Not with disability. So right. that's number one. Another meme that I wrote, and, and I share this in my conference speaking that I do, mm-hmm. is, uh, is that life with a disability is tough. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah. life without a disability is tough too. And so I think. <laughs> yeah to instill in our kids a certain level of perseverance and persistence and determination
0: mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And,
1: and faith and grace that they can overcome anything that is in their path. Oh, but yeah. What, I had a million and, and one reasons to fail. When I was in 10th grade, after I committed $1,000 worth of vandalism at mm-hmm. my high school, and I had swung at a teacher during a fist fight I got in with another kid, I was this close to being expelled. And I had a black and white striped T-shirt that was similar or reminiscent of the prison uniforms people used to wear in the 40s and 50s. And my dad and brother told me, they said, you better get used to that shirt because that's where you're going. You're going to end up in prison. You're not even going to graduate high school. Oh, wow. I turned my life around through through the, the 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 blessing blessings of having great people in my life and pe- a lot of people probably praying for me. Yeah, uh, and 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 now I'm the only person in my immediate family with a college degree, and I've got three of them. Yeah, and, and so that is one thing that I would say is is do uh, is don't don't get caught up in predeterminations because right. I tell teachers all the time: If you go through those doors, those school doors, you have to believe that every day is an opportunity to change a kid's life for the better, and oh, that yeah. no kid, there is no destined path where they're going to fail, if you can intervene in their life. Oh and, wow! And to add to that, and and as you can tell, I have a lot to say about this. Um
0: <laughs> That's okay.
1: <laughs> to add to that, I would also say there's different levels of success, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Not different levels of success. I want to strike that from the record. Success looks different for everybody, right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. For some success is going to college for four years and getting a degree. Mm-hmm. For some, success is you know, uh, being an athlete. Mm-hmm. and going to college on an athletic scholarship or joining a semi-pro baseball team mm-hmm. first of all, success is getting a job at a mechanic shop and mm-hmm. and fixing cars and that's okay there's nothing wrong with that and for some success is being a good father and a good husband or a good mom or a oh good yeah mom. yeah and that's okay like like there we need to move away from the the constructs of society that say you know you're only successful if you make six figures and you have a 401k and you drive a fancy uh, fancy jaguar or or a bmw or something like <laughs> that like, that is not how i measure my level of, of success there are lots Me of people, either <laughs> there, there are lots of people that make more money. than me but i want to trade what i do for for anything in the world
0: right right
1: hopefully every day hopefully yeah
0: oh i'm sure you do i'm sure you do well how mark how can people reach out to you you know if they want to um get your book fingerprints or um see what you're all about
1: yeah great um so i have a, a website and, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you do show notes, but hopefully we can add it there. I uh, will. Yep. But my website is www.teacherwithturettes.com. And yep. and that's my website that promotes my public speaking. There's an mm-hmm. opportunity to subscribe to my mailing list. I, I mm-hmm. do blogs semi-regularly. I'm trying to get better at that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hoping to get one done this weekend about the first day of school. Um, and then and then at the bottom of the page there's my email address that if anyone would like to say hi or ask a question or or tell me <laughs> I need to grow hair quicker on the top of my head <laughs> or need to my beard whatever reach out you know um I'd love to hear from anyone about anything uh maybe someone would would like me to come speak to their school district yeah that that'd be a, a great way to contact me as well and i also have videos of some speech some clips from my speeches on there yeah i also have a link to my book uh where you can purchase my book mm-hmm. and if you want it signed i have copies as well you can always buy a, a copy from me and i can sign it for you and uh yeah that's that's the best way to get a hold of me